North Carolina has a new defensive coordinator in Gene Chizik, who brings with him a new defensive scheme. In this era of the transfer portal and everybody moving around, how quick is it now to overhaul your defense and get the personnel you need? Great question. Good thing John Garcia Jr. is joining us today. He's going to help us unpack it from a recruiting standpoint on today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Friday, May 13th, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Shade. I'm a beat writer for Sports Illustrated's All Tar Heels website. And I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or your first watch every single day. Please remember that we are free and available anywhere you get podcasts. And for those of you watching, go ahead, hit that subscribe button, smash the like button, leave a comment, love to hear more your thoughts about what we're going to talk about today as you listen. Speaking of which, that is Mr. John Garcia joining us. Love it when he does that. we got some great football content to talk about, including an interview he had with Legend Cavazos. We are joined again here on Locked on Tar Heels by now, man, friend of the program at this point, <laughs> Mr. John Garcia Jr. Uh, great recruiting from Sports Illustrated for football and uh, so excited to have him with us as uh, has been for each of the last several weeks now. And so um, today we're going to be talking a lot about the new defensive scheme instituted by uh, Gene Chizik as he comes in. But before we do that, you might recall that last week we talked about Legend Cavazos, who is coming, a, a cornerback, coming to Carolina. And since that time, John has had the opportunity to have an interview with Legend. And so we just want to follow up on that and see what kind of information uh, they talked about and if there's any good nuggets that John has for us coming out of that. So John, uh, welcome in. It is great to have you as always. Uh, thank you for being with us. And and so let's talk about your interview with Legend. Any any uh, just little morsels coming out of that? Yeah, well, you know, some of the best stuff made the story itself. Uh, I thought the connection between him and Baycott was, was even more intrinsic than we thought. It wasn't yeah. just, hey, come come to, to Carolina like me. It was like, hey, let's, let's go to the same school again. So you know, IMG to Carolina pipeline, I guess, is is alive and well. And <laughs> and him admitting that, hey, you know, Carolina was was reaching out, but so were 50 other schools. So to stand out, you know, something like that really became a catalyst. Uh, so it's, it's really kind of amazing to see how that works. And it began to separate Carolina from some of these others. And, you know, he took a couple of trips. He was out at Colorado and then took the trip to Carolina and as he said, that was it. And and look, other trips were being set up. This wasn't one of those things where there wasn't a lot of interest and mm. he was just kind of taking his time, hanging out. Like other trips were in the works and borderline planned until he took that uh, trip to Chapel Hill. So I thought that was interesting. And then a part that didn't make the story that that I really liked in general was just the the mentality that legend had. Mm. You know, he was very, mm. very serious and very, very different from when I talked to him when he was in high school. Um, you know, obviously maturity brings brings that perspective and, and he's older and he's gone through transition. He's gone through injuries, different things like that. You know, so all that stuff will certainly build you up a little bit. Um, but when I said, hey, you know, what's what's recruiting like now versus mm. high school? Interesting. And he said, man, he said, it's all business now. He said, it's all serious. And, and I take it that way, too. He said, my approach 
is all business now too, which is why he he took the trips. And when he saw the school he wanted to go to, he he was done. He didn't start, you know, yeah. taking trips for fun and all that stuff. It was really about making this decision ahead of of making that drive uh, earlier this week, you know, from from Columbus to Chapel Hill. And I talked to him at, at the tail end of the drive. So he's probably a little tired as well. <laughs> but beyond that, you know, he was very serious and and said that was 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 what his whole approach was. This was a very much a business decision. There was some personal stuff that helped out along the way, you know, with, with sure. Armando and sure. with some other things. Uh, but really, it was about, you know, an opportunity to play, which we talked about uh, the other day or last week, I should say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and just the ability to play within this Carolina defense, which is going to be more aggressive, which is going to allow <laughs> him to utilize his strengths like we talked about being a longer, bigger corner. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I'm with you, John. I was really surprised when I read your article to hear, like like you said, we had surmised that certainly Baycott played a role in that, but the the sheer magnitude of how important that was really took me uh, by surprise. And so do, do you foresee that? Uh, you know, we talked about that peer recruiting quite a bit last, last uh, week when we chatted. Do you foresee that maybe now becoming even more and more of a thing? Absolutely. Anything that can validate a school uh, gives you an in. And in this case, uh, like I said, a lot of schools were reaching out uh, to both him and his father just to see, hey, you know, do we have a chance? Are, are we potentially in this race? Um, hmm. So when it came to scheduling visits, you know, it, something really has to stand out. And, and Carolina wasn't really high on his list coming out of high school. So, you know, you usually go there first when you, when you talk about the transfer portal. It's like, OK. Let's circle back around. Yep. Coming yep. out of high school. Who who was in the mix? You know, where where did he go to high school? What are the, the hometown schools or the in-state schools? What have you? Um, so when those don't exist for a school, something like a, a peer reaching out could could certainly be a catalyst. And it totally was in this part. And then he takes the trip. Jacoby Kawan's taking the trip. He's like, look, he was like, I thought Jacoby was already going to North Carolina. So he thought that that was already done. So he would be joining him. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in that transition from Columbus to, to uh, Chapel Hill. So I thought that was interesting as well. But look, any little advantage or personal touch that any school can have with any kid, it really does resonate. And sometimes it can even be a separator on the recruiting trail in terms of getting the ball rolling. And for some schools and some commits or some recruits, I should say, that's really the biggest part. You know, who who gets that ball truly rolling um, and, and who kind of looks like everyone else just as, as one another text message in the inbox. Man. Well, that, I mean, that's a screaming endorsement to me, uh, not just for Armando Baycott, but for the campus of North Carolina, for the, the coaching staff with Mac Brown and what they have. John, what do you make of this more business-like um, recruiting scenario that, that has transitioned from when legend was in high school till now? I just think it's the gener the generational change we're seeing in recruiting. I mean, this is just something that has become big business in every mm. sense of the word. So the quicker <laughs> the quicker the prospect realizes that Isaac, you know, the, the, the mm. sooner he's going to be able to make decisions with that in mind, and that can remove some of not the wash. You know, we call it the wash in football, but you know, some of the distracting elements of the process, right? You know, when when you first talk to a 16-year-old in recruiting, he's like, hey, you know, Coach Garcia, because they think I'm a coach. Coach Garcia, <laughs> oh, man, this school's showing so much love and the fans are showing so much love. And that matters so much when, when kids are first getting on the recruiting scene. 
These yeah. elite kids or kids who are recruited over two, three years, they never really bring that up in the end, right? So it was cool at the beginning. It, it kind of got you interested in that school and you, and you maybe learned a little bit more about the school, yes, but it, it turns to business soon after that anyway. So hmm. the quicker you get there on your own as a recruit, I think the better equipped you are to, to navigate the process, uh, which has become business-like on the school's end as well, right? There's only yeah. so many scholarships. There's only so many official visits. There's only so many kids who have that green light to commit. So you already kind of are participating in, in a business-like decision, whether or not you approach it that way. So I'm, I think that's going to be more of the norm, the, the whole show and love and fun element is 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 becoming a little bit fewer and far between in recruiting and look money is 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 a part of that too right i mean that's that's college football in general right we talk about these tv contracts these conference uh, tv deals all these things that generate tons of money and now the players can dip into that pot so why wouldn't they approach it a little bit more seriously with a little bit more in yeah. mind than just this is where i'm going to be living and or this is the school i'm going to be playing for yeah, makes a lot of sense to me as as everything professionalizes and maybe we get collective bargaining or whatever, you know, like with NIL and everything. Who knows? But that makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, love it. Thank you, John, so much for that insight. And so Legend Cavazos is going to be coming to play now for Gene Chizik's new, as you said, more aggressive defense. Can't wait to see him in action. And I want to ask John about how long it takes to get a defense flipped around in terms of personnel. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Built Bar. Summer is coming. And with that, you're going to need some food on the go. So you know what? Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on your family trips or picnics or wherever it is. Just throw them in your bag and you got it. Make sure everyone is fueled with Built Bar for all those adventures. And keep in mind that these Built Bars and the Built Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means with Built Bar, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing so. And speaking of these puffs, have you tried them? They're so good and come in unexpected and fun flavors like banana cream pie or churro. Who doesn't want to eat that? Come on. And if that's not enough flavor for you, if you want more than just the one, try one of the mixed boxes. It comes with 12 different flavors of bars and puffs. Well, all you need to do is go to Built.com. You can look at all the numbers to see for yourself what a great and healthy option this is. Only 130 calories, just 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 net carbs. Plus, it's got 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a normal candy bar with 240 calories and who knows how many carbs or grams of sugar, and you know which choice you need to make right now. So, go to Built.com today, check out all these delicious flavor options, and choose one for yourself. And while you're there, use promo code LOCKED15, and you're going to get 15% off that order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Thanks again for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen. Keep in mind, we are the only day, daily Tar Heels podcast going, at least that I've ever heard of. Uh, people haven't told me anything otherwise every time I've said it. So I'm assuming that we're right and we're the only thing going. Thank you for joining us and diving in. Come bring more people to this community and let's continue to grow it through the dog days of summer. 
Happy Friday. We are here today talking with John Garcia Jr. from Sports Illustrated, uh, rec college football recruiting extraordinaire. He is with us as he always is. And, and right now we're going to transition to talking about North Carolina's defense. As you may well know, Carolina brought in a new defensive coordinator this year, a guy with a ton of experience, a great name in the industry, and that is Gene Chizik. Now, one of the things Chizik will be doing is changing the defensive scheme, which inevitably means means you're kind of stuck with the personnel you've already got, but you have to find the guys to fit that scheme. And so, um, John, I think my first question to you is just very simply, how long does it take to adjust your recruiting plan when you hire a new coordinator? Yeah, you know, with the best of them, Isaac, you know, they'll have a plan as soon as they're there, right? As soon as they, they interview for that job, they should be, the best recruiters should be, ready to hit the ground running whenever uh, things become official and they can hit the road or make phone calls, what have you. So I, I do think that a coach like Gene Chizik, who was out of the business for a little bit and now is jumping back in, you know, I do think that he was kind of refreshed and ready to go. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that we'll see the results of that on the trail, but we're, we're seeing it in the portal too, right? Obviously a lot of these additions have been defensive additions. We've seen them add prospects at all three levels. Now D line linebacker DB uh, yeah. over the last month or so, month or so. So that's something that I think is, is the quickest fix in terms of adjusting your plan. Cause it's like, Hey, we can get guys in Gene's case, guys that he was, you know, charting a little bit working for the sec network or ESPN. Yeah. Like, hey, I, I remember yeah. this guy from, from the you know Ohio <laughs> state game. He, he looked pretty good. Now he can implement that and say, Hey, you know, we can bring him in to, to maybe help us out right now or strengthen strengths or make up for, for some potential weaknesses. And I think one element of, of making that switch is just volume. You just need more bodies. Uh, if you're going to run an aggressive defense, you're going to have maybe a shorter rotation, uh, meaning guys are playing less snaps because you want them attacking aggressive downhill, competing at the line of scrimmage or, or shortly thereafter compared to a more conservative defense that plays a lot more zone coverage, doesn't rush the passer or blitz as much, then you could probably leave guys on the field a little bit more. So if your rotation shortens and you get more aggressive, you've got to have more bodies, more edge rushers, more defensive backs, kind of what we're seeing uh, with, with UNC attacking the portal in and of itself. And then in terms of the body style, I think you're, you're recruiting different players uh, yeah. relative to the position. So with your defensive backs, yeah, you want guys who are a little bit more comfortable at the line of scrimmage. So typically a longer corner um, players who can play uh, in the sub package uh, that have great hips because they're going to be a little bit more uh, reliant on man coverage. So if you're a nickel type of, of corner, a guy who's quicker than fast, uh, technically sound, um, understands leverage, a little bit more polished uh, th than your lengthy outside corner. I think those are some adjustments that you'll make in, in courting those prospects. And then on the edge, which is really the biggest difference to me in in one scheme versus the next is you're going to go lighter and faster um i think yeah. in, you know in a traditional four three you're asking a lot of your defensive ends you're asking them to be the primary pass rushers but also to set the edge in oh. the run game i think you can get away from that a little bit more when you bounce out to a three four and those edge guys can be pass rush first type of of prospects so probably a little bit leaner a little bit quicker on the edge uh, and they can utilize that to then become support players in the run game as opposed to being designated and, and a little bit more similarly built uh, like an offensive lineman to combat that at 260, 270, whatever it may be. So I think those are the biggest differences in recruiting uh, some of those mm -hmm. players on defense. Some of them will, will feel similar, right? Your, your one technique was your three technique, and you want that versatility, you know, 
recruiting from one staff to the next. Same thing with the inside linebackers. I think you, you're asking very similar things. Uh, they're just playing in, in a little bit different of a gap, uh, but really responsibility-wise, especially in this day and age, Isaac, it's it's largely the same. <laughs> Uh, you know, you're playing in space a lot. You're you're a traffic controller setting the defense. You're still doing all of those things. It's just a little bit more simplified in this kind of scheme. And and taking it back to Cavazos, that's a, that's one thing he said he loved. He said this is a scheme where I can just go do me. I can go lock mm-hmm. up on a receiver, or I can play aggressive at the line of scrimmage. No one I have help over the top. It's a, a much more simplified look than than what he felt like he had at Ohio State, and that was one of the perks uh, of coming to Carolina. Yeah. So what what do I do, though, if I'm one of these guys that's been in the program or been in the system for a while and now I'm the odd man out? That's tough. You know, the portal certainly does work both ways, but I, I think that's what spring practice is, is certainly for, you know, bringing in guys uh, to compete and, you know, take my job. If I'm one of those guys on the outside looking in, you, you got to combat it. You know, you kind of assimilate or, or you don't. Uh, and I think that's part of of self-scouting anyway you know gene chizik is not only targeting new players to build and add on to this defense but he's got to see what he has on his current defense as well so you certainly want to challenge guys to a certain extent to maybe get outside of their comfort zone and and perhaps either discover something new that they're actually good at or will be good at or kind of confirm hey maybe you know maybe this scheme and this position isn't quite right right here and doing so in the spring kind of enables a little bit more time for for guys to hit the portal or, or to, to make those, uh, again, business decisions in terms of assimilating or not. Um, so I think self-scouting is a big part of it as well. And I would imagine as a defensive coordinator, you want the guys that are doing what you just said of like, okay, that doesn't match who I am anymore, but how can I reinvent myself? Like that's the guy I want to go to war with every day of the week, right? 100%. You know, I, I think uh, in any, almost any position, obviously quarterback, doesn't really fit into this, but almost everywhere else, you have to be able to do so many things. And the more different elements of of athleticism and physicality you could bring uh, can only really enhance where your game is and where it may Mm -hmm. go. So when the scheme change comes in, that that should get guys excited. You know, it's going to be something different. It's going to be, in theory, a little bit more more freeing mentally to enable you to to be able to, to play to your athletic self, you know, without thinking as much pre-snap, uh, stuff like that. So that should be an exciting transition for most of the defensive prospects or players, I should say. Um, yeah. And for those who who don't see it that way, you know, it's an opportunity to either look elsewhere or or give it time, give it time and yeah. see if, if it's something you can buy into. You know, I, I yeah. think resets like that um, are often invigorating in, in nature. How many times, and we see it every year, Isaac, how many times do we see a coaching staff recruit a certain team, a certain player, and then the new coaching staff comes in and all of a sudden he's better than ever. And it's like, wow, that last staff evaluated a great player, but maybe they weren't utilizing him the right mm-hmm. way. And now we yeah. can free him up and open him up to, to his true potential. Uh, so those things happen as well. So it's important to self-scout, but you know, as, as a coach, you're also looking to, to those players who actually are open to that assimilation and, and can accept the challenge because look, if they all want to play professional football, they're going to have to do that at the next level anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And that, I think I, I love that you ended on that because draftability has to play a huge role in, in motivation and, and all these things that they're doing. That's really good. Thank you. Well, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more then about, okay, we're getting this personnel. Now, how does it 
transition to the field and when do we see that taking place and clicking into place. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but first let me tell you just a little bit about Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NBA playoffs and the start of the MLB season. They've even already published odds for next year's Final Four. Kentucky leads the way at 8-1 odds, but the Tar Heels are right behind at 10-1. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering info, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. So, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. Built Online, where the game starts. We're back here on Locked on Tar Heels with brother John Garcia Jr. We're talking all about Carolina's defensive scheme switch, bringing in Gene Chizik and everything that he's doing and what that means for recruits and, and the on-field product. And John, before we talk about the on-field product, one, one other thing I did want to ask you is, you know, we talked about spring ball being this time when you kind of see like, oh, maybe I should enter the transfer portal. What happens, though, in a scenario where you go through spring ball and then somebody transfers in after that. And so if I'm, let's say I'm a member of Carolina Secondary, and now here comes Legend Cavazos, and maybe I was two or three on the depth chart, and now I move down to three or four, like how seriously at that point post-spring football, but not really know it, you know, like I, I haven't seen this guy on the field. Can I beat him out? How often do you bet on yourself? How often do you say, ah, this probably ain't for me anymore? That's a great question, Isaac, and one we, we don't get a whole lot of. But look, that's that's the nature of it, right? I mean, these coaches are literally on a on a shorter and quicker clock than they've mm -hmm. ever been uh, mm -hmm. in college football. We're seeing coaching staffs get fired after year one, year two. I mean, that used that didn't happen ten years no. ago. No. Used to get used to get really four and then three if it was really bad. That was kind of the general rule. Like you get to overhaul the entire roster, but now and and the portal only you know further is this now you get less time because it's like hey you've got the portal you've got high school you've got junior college recruits figure it out you know so I, I do think that's an important thing to consider but you have to understand that these coaches are always going to try to upgrade their roster that is the nature of, of the business nature of college football just like we see in the nfl every off season there's a release or two that people are like how could you release this guy he did yes. this last year yeah. well somewhere whether it's a financially or on the field they feel like they can make an uh, have an advantage of getting another guy or promoting another guy or whatever it is so the, it's kind of uh you know back into professionalizing the college game you have to prove yourself to your staff mm. year in year out sometimes week in week out relative to the team you're playing because the game plans change uh and i think that creates mm. that competitive culture that builds great teams and it's certainly not for everyone um, but, but there's, you know, 350 uh, teams that play football in college, you know, 65 are in the power five, 130 are FBS and the rest aren't. So, you know, there's a spot for you somewhere. Um, but but that competitive culture is what you want to create. And taking it back to legend, that that's something he said. He said, look, when I was there, he wasn't just with the coaching staff or just with Armando Baycott. He was with the DBs. He was with Storm. Uh, he was with Tony Grimes. He was with all of these players. Um, and, and they were talking about playing together. You know, so it's mm -hmm. something that they recognize and say, hey, you know, we, we need another DB. You know, great. Let's do it. Um, so 
I, I do think that creates a competitive culture. It makes practices better. It makes your wide receiver unit better. You know, Josh yeah. Downs and those guys. So <laughs> I do think that is is how you win. Uh, but but you know, transition, attrition, whatever you want to call it, is just you know an unintended consequence. And sometimes it's for the betterment of the program. Honestly. Yeah, man, what a just. Uh, I know like Carolina is one of these schools that has now hired a GM, Patrick Suttis, who manages all this. And I, I do not envy his job in any way. Like it's gotta be so difficult. Like I just, I don't see it. So John, take me, let's go back just even a year or two prior to the transfer portal being a thing. And prior to, um, the one-time transfer waiver that student athletes had, how long in that era does it take? does it take to see the change of personnel on field when we have a coordinator switch? I think it takes longer because you just have less players um, and there's less pressure on those players because more aren't being brought in. Uh, so I, I think it takes a little bit longer to settle it, but there's, there's just less bodies to, to rep it. Right. And, and a lot of yeah. times that's really what it comes down to just how many good reps can you get? It's why if you play, you know, you play in a great secondary, you probably have good receivers on your team because you're repping against those guys every single day. Uh, yeah. And the more the merrier for the most part. So when there is less transition and less roster turnover, it could probably take a little bit longer uh, physically because you don't have the bodies. Mentally, you're probably further along, right? Because it's, it's less brains to train, uh, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is really fascinating to look at it. Um, mm -hmm. But but again, the coaches had more time to implement their schemes. They had a longer leash in terms of if things weren't going well. So it was it almost feels like a different era uh, of college football, even just going back five years, you know, before the portal, which is crazy to say out loud. I don't think I've said that out loud <laughs> yet, but that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like it was more structured for the long haul uh, versus now where it's about, you know, winning today. Yeah, that's such an interesting point you just made about um, training the, the the brain, the mental side of the game versus the physicality side of the game. And because in, in some of those moments, you might have technically less talented teams that might function as a better unit. And ultimately, while less talented, could be a better defensive unit in total. Uh, is that a real thing? It is. And I think college basketball is a great example of that every year. In the tournament, there's all these one and dones with, you know, Duke and Carolina and Kentucky or whoever else, and they perform well. And sometimes they go all the way, but there's always uh, Villanova, uh, Gonzaga. There's always a team that has just kind of built through time uh, that is is ready to compete. Um, mm. I mean, look at uh, St. Peter's this past yes, year. Yes, exactly. Those, <laughs> those guys yeah. had been there for a while. So, I mean, yeah. it, it, there is something to be said for that. Um, but again, you know, you, you don't have as long a leash nowadays. So it's, it's really... Um, a tough call to pick, you know, one side versus the other. If you're a fan of the Tar Heels, do, do you prefer it five years ago or today? I mean, you could really build the argument uh, for either side. But, but yeah, you, you want talent in the end, though. I mean, I think sure. the, the best coaches will tell you. I mean, Nick Saban says it like every championship. He's like, <laughs> it's the players. He's like, I appreciate it, but it's the players, even though I have all these records. So I, I do believe him, especially in the at the collegiate level. You're, you're more inclined to let the players just go because if you have the more talented roster, nine times out of 10, you're probably going to win the game. And that's why you love having somebody like Mac Brown at the top of the pyramid who is a phenomenal recruiter and is going to be able to convince that talent of the culture that's happening in Chapel Hill. John, just one last question for you is, does, does the pressure that comes with this shorter leash, does that put more pressure on the players or the D.C.? 
or the head coach? <laughs> it's probably the head coach because, you know, <laughs> ultimately, you know, he's accountable. Uh, but but everyone shares the pressure, though. That everyone mm-hmm. feels feels that urgency or they should. You know, a, a winning program should feel it. You go at the very top again. You know, Georgia has a sour taste in their mouth after that SEC championship game and, and they get their payback. Uh, on Alabama. And and a lot of those players say that the practice intensity really picked up after a loss. They felt that urgency. And that's just after one loss and one game. But you can extrapolate that over a season, whether it's a coach on the hot seat. You know, these players have internet, right? They see it. You know, Nebraska (laughs) players, Auburn players going into this year are certainly aware of the urgency that I'm assuming they're feeling every day from from their coaching staffs. Uh, So I I do think it kind of bounces off uh, one group onto the next, uh, but if everyone embraces it kind of together, uh, you know, you can kind of uh, catch lightning in the bottle. Cause remember Jim Harbaugh was on the hot seat like 18 months ago, and now he's coming off of a college football playoff appearance. So it, it can turn around very fast in college football, which is why it's so darn entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And such is life in this new era. And uh, so Gene Chizik has a short leash. He's getting guys in. We're going to have to see the transformation on the field come this fall. Can't wait to see it. John Garcia Jr., as always, my friend, thank you so much for all your wisdom and insights. You do such a good job. Always fun with you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you. We'll see you next week. That brings us to the end of another great week here on Locked on Tar Heels. Man, all sorts of great conversations once again. I'm so grateful to John Garcia for joining us as he always does. Please go subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, or if you're watching, go ahead and just hit that subscribe button. It's just right there on screen. It takes two seconds. We're closing in on 3,000 subscribers. Going to hit it very, very soon. You can follow the show at Locked on Heels. You can follow me at Isaac Shade, I-S-A-A-C-S-C-H-A-D-E. And also, go make sure you give John Garcia Jr. a follow on Twitter. He's got great content coming out all the time. If you want to talk more with me about anything at all, you can email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Well, coming up next week... Oh, man, we got some fun conversations. Coach Pat Kilby and I are going to be unpacking Gigi Jackson, just like we did with Simeon Wiltshire this week. Uh, we're going to be talking with John Garcia more about some, some other football things. Can't wait for another great week here on Locked on Tar Heels. But while you're waiting, let me encourage you to make Locked on ACC your second listen today. Get all your daily ACC news in 30 minutes or less, free and available wherever you get podcasts. Hey, folks, thanks so much for spending part of another week hanging out with me, talking Carolina sports and everything else. I really hope that you have a great weekend, and I can't wait to see you right back here next week on Locked on Tar Heels. But until then, I want to remind you, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until next week, peace.